I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and uh, occasionally I preach here. Uh, when I'm not having my knee replaced or my uh, other ailments going on. If you are unaware, I've uh, had shingles the last few weeks. And uh, the last time I was here, I was having pain from it and didn't know what it was. And then the doctor finally diagnosed it. And I'm not going to go into all the gory details as much as I really want to. Uh, but uh, it's a painful thing. Shingles is a very painful, painful thing. And uh, I sent you an email a couple of weeks ago when I was uh, lucid between pain medications. I'm still, I'm still on a heavy dose of, I alternate between Tylenol and ibuprofen because I don't want to kill my liver with a Tylenol or my kidneys with the ibuprofen, so I mix them. <laughs> so next year at this time, I'll have no kidneys and half a liver. But... Um, the thing that strikes me, I just want to emphasize this because it sets up what we want to talk about this morning. Shingles is an awfully painful thing and it makes you realize you've got a problem. And so now everywhere I go, I ask people, like yesterday I was with some people, and I said, have you got your vaccination for shingles? And they just sort of look at me like, what's wrong with you? And I even asked all of our staff last Tuesday morning, my first day back, how many of you had the shingles shot, or how many, uh, yeah, how many have had it? Like three hands went up. And the rest of them just sort of looked at me like, why would I care about that? And it's discouraging, because if they could have had the pain that I had when I had the opportunity to have the shingles shot just before I got the shingles, and I turned it down because it's too expensive, that's for old people, that's for weak people, and uh, I'm not one of them. I'm okay. And then the Lord gave me shingles. And you know, spiritually, there's an analogy there. And the analogy is that there's a lot of people in the world that if you say, have you trusted in Jesus yet? They sort of look at you like the staff looked at me last Tuesday morning, like, why would I need to do that? I'm okay. That's for weak people who need God. I'm doing okay. And it's really hard to penetrate and so now I've become an evangelist for the vaccination of the shingle shot because I know how painful it is. I've lived the pain, come out of the pit, the angry pit of laying there in bed saying, Lord, will the pain ever stop? And you start taking Norco, then you think, what's worse, to have Norco in your head or pain in your gut? I don't know which is worse because you don't want anybody to go through that. And so I've lived the pain, and so I want to let everybody know that you don't have to have that pain if you get vaccinated. At least it minimizes the chances. There's nobody that's ever come back from hell and said, you know, it really hurts in hell. But if they could come back from hell, as Jesus encountered a man who wanted somebody to come back from hell, and Jesus says, no. No one's coming back from hell to tell you how painful this is. If you don't believe the prophets and the psalmists, and the Old Testament truths of God's Word, then there is no hope for you. And so, because no one's going to come back from hell and tell people to get the vaccination of Jesus for the removal of sin, God has now left it up to us to let them know of the danger of the wrath of God, the hell of mankind, so they can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That's the vaccination we want to talk about this morning. 
So I want to encourage us to be people who have beautiful feet. Let me just, let me just begin with this. I brought my, uh, somebody asked if this was mine because they weren't sure if it was a bomb. <laughs> and I asked, it was Matt Doan, I said, Matt, if it is a bomb, would you throw your body on it to protect me? I think he said yes, but I'm not sure. So I brought some of my shoes along here. These are my work shoes. Got them at REI, half price on their uh, sale rack. That's a great bargain. I love these shoes. I'd wear these shoes every single day of my life if I could. But these are my work shoes, my North Face work shoes. I'll be wearing them in Israel here shortly. I've also got some other shoes in here. I've got my uh, Harley Davidson shoes. When I ride my motorcycle, these would be shoes that I would wear. They've got the nice steel toes on them. And so I want to put those out there so you can see that it's really what covers my feet that counts the most. And occasionally, uh, I walk fast. I can't run anymore. That's what happen when you have a titanium knee. Ken says amen. He's got a titanium knee as well. And then occasionally, we just have everyday shoes. And we just kind of walk around wherever you want to go. So you have those shoes that you use as well. And occasionally, when I feel free and easy, I put on my flip-flops. Remember when we used to call these thongs? Uh, yeah, my daughters had the same reaction. When I was a kid, I called them thongs. And uh, isn't it funny how words change and they have mean? And then there is the, uh, like the, when I come home at night and I light up a cigar and sit there in the den, I put on the uh, little thing of whiskey over here. And then uh, I don't do that, I don't do that. But these are the, the lounging shoes, the lounging shoes. So they're comfortable, they just sort of sit there and you feel like, I'm done, I can relax, I can take it, a load off. And so these are the lounging shoes. And these are a variety of shoes that we wear. And, and God wants us to know that He has given each of us feet so that they could be beautiful in any of these shoes. I want to come back to them in just a moment. But we've been going through the book of Romans, and I appreciate Matt, the Rabbi Davis, for taking you through the journey of some of the most difficult text sections of God's Word. And I've had a number of notes from you asking about things like Calvinism and Arminianism, and, and what do we believe here? Is that what you believe? Is Matt crazy or what? And so uh, he's not crazy. He's done a good job. And I put on the back side of the outline today, there's an outline in today's bulletin that I invite you to look at because it'll help you to follow along. But if I were here to talk about some of those things, I tried to summarize some of my thoughts as it reflects on those issues. There is a tremendous challenge of believing that God has elected us, as Paul talks about that in Romans 9 and, and other passages as well. Romans 19 and 11 are all about the nation of Israel and their election by God. God chose them. Ephesians 1 says God predestined us before the foundation of the world. And those are hard things for us to grasp because we feel like we have freedom. We have freely chosen to believe in God. Nobody forced me to do that. And so it's counterproductive and counterlogical to my own way of thinking as to my experience. Because I didn't feel forced to believe in Jesus, and yet I'm told that He chose me before I chose Him. God demonstrated His love for us even while we were yet sinners. Before the foundation of the world, He elected, chose, predestined me, Dave Mitchell, and those of us who believe in Him to be His followers, to be believers in Jesus. That is 
hard for us because we also want to believe that the salvation is for everyone, and it is. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever means whoever. It's not whoever is predestined, didn't say that. Whoever is elect, didn't say that. Whoever is chosen, didn't say that. It said whoever. Of all people, of all mankind, of seven billion people in the world, of all of them, any of them can believe in Jesus Christ. And so here is the sweet spot of the challenge of Romans 9 through 11. The sweet spot is this. If you reach a point in your mind where your mind says, this does not make sense, how can God predestine me to salvation and yet whoever anyone can believe in Jesus, I freely believe in Jesus. If there's a tension between predestination and the free will of man to choose to believe in Jesus, then so be it. Then you're probably where you need to be. Because that's why Romans chapter uh, 11 concludes with this, how unfathomable, how unfathomable, how unsearchable is our God. Because if I want God to make sense to me, I will have to make God as small as my brain. And I don't want God to be as small as my brain. You don't want God to be as small as my brain. And so because God is unfathomable, because God is unsearchable, Romans 11, I therefore have to live with the fact that there is a constant tension in my mind that not everything God says in His Word will make perfect sense to me. Not until I get to heaven will the aha moment occur for me. And I hope it's the same for you. So there's a constant tension. You read about some of that on the back side of the outline. And this morning we want to see the other side of predestination, the other side of election, the other side of being chosen by God. That God chose Jacob but not Esau. Why did God choose who He chose? And then what is the freedom that we have? Well, Romans chapter 10 gives us that other side of the coin, the tension of the other side of the freedom of mankind. Let me read in Romans 10. Verse 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify, testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Just some examples. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not see in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend in this abyss, that is to force bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches, and here, for all who call on His name. No limitation there. For all who call on His name. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? And this is the great little phrase, just as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news 
of good things. God loves good feet. I'll make sense of some of this material that's hard to understand. Here's a picture of a set of feet. Anybody know who those feet belong to? They're not mine. Thank you. Mother Teresa. You know, one of the things uh, that came out of Mother Teresa's life is that when the orphan kids and children that she would work with were given a batch of shoes, all the shoes are distributed to all the children so they can have a size that fits them perfectly. Then Mother Teresa would take the leftover shoes and she would wear them. And often they were too small, they didn't fit properly. And as a result, those ill-fitting shoes deformed her feet. And yet in her attempt to be the love and grace of Jesus Christ to a very troubled group of children who were having a rough time in life and a group of people that needed Jesus Christ, her feet became beautiful because she would bring good news of good things and her expression of good works. And I pray that she brings the good news of Jesus with them. God wants our feet to be beautiful. And they can be beautiful, even if you have corns on them, the abscesses, and you have fungus underneath the toenails. They can still be very beautiful. And here is how they become beautiful. It's interesting how God uses in this passage four parts of our body. I'm going to talk about the heart, first of all. Then we're going to talk about the mind. Then we're going to talk about the mouth. And then we'll come back to the feet one more time. Let's look at the heart. I love what Paul says. He says, I have a love and an understanding for people that need salvation. That's verses 1 through 3. Notice Paul's desire for the people that need to be saved. He says there in verses 1 and 2, Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. My heart's desire. I have a heartfelt desire for their salvation. I pray for them. You and I need to be praying for people who need to be saved. We need to constantly be begging God. And it needs to come from a heart. There's a heartfelt, passionate love for people who aren't saved. Not a heart of judgment. Not a heart of condemnation. Not a heart of scorn. Not a heart of disrespect. But a heart of desire. I have a desire for you. That's where the heart comes in. If that's not my heart... Don't tell people you're a Christian. We've got enough Christians out there messing it up for the rest of us who have a heart's desire and prayer to God for their salvation. My heart should be one of praying for their salvation. I hope you have a list of people that you regularly bring to the Lord for their salvation. And in due course, let God do the work that He does best. Notice that also in verses 2 and 3, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. I love that verse 2. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. There's a lot of people that have a zeal for God. These are the Jewish people he's referring to. The zeal that they have for God. Because they're in a, a religion. They're known for their ethnicity and also their religion. Sort of bundles up all together. And so they have a zeal for God, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. The word for knowledge that he uses there is this term. It's a working experience with God. It's not an intellectual assent. It's a working experience with God. And so we go back to the verse. It says, Therefore, not knowing about God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own. In those days, the Jewish people, the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees had 613 laws for the people to keep. 
You keep all 613 of those laws, maybe you'll get to heaven. Maybe you will be blessed by God with God's kingdom. And so they seek to establish their own righteousness. And you know, today, there are people seeking to establish their own righteousness. We are redefining the terms. We're redefining uh, morality. And I'm not going to get lost in it, but the whole idea of human relativistic, humanistic, relativistic moralism, where things that used to be wrong are no longer wrong, and, and new things that never were wrong are now wrong. It's wrong to point out certain sins, and it's, it's, it's okay to commit certain sins. I mean, it's completely turned itself on its head, right? And I'm not going to get lost in the details. But we have people today that don't know about God's righteousness, as it says there, but they are seeking to establish their own. And so it's really tough. You have a heart's desire and prayer for their salvation, but there are so many people that are established their own righteousness. 2,000 years ago it was true, it's still true today. And so we see this, this calling of our hearts. Pray for their salvation, but understand their real spiritual need. That's what he's talking about. What is their real spiritual need? They have a zeal, but not a knowledge. They have a righteousness, but it's their own righteousness, their own man-made terms of morality, of what's right and wrong for me. may not be right and wrong for you, but it's my right and wrong. may not be your truth, but it's my truth. That's the world in which we live. And let me just sort of branch off of that and say this. It's all under the heart, a heart of love for these people. There is a uh, kind of a belief system out there called moralism. Moralism. Moralism is a belief system that a lot of people like us, we sort of put it on everyone else. Moralism is where I have determined the kind of behavior that everybody in the world should have. And so I go around preaching, just like me. Have you got your shingles vaccination? And they'll get, oh, who are you to tell me that I should have a shingles vaccination? Well, I've just been through it and it was really painful. I think you probably shouldn't uh, quarrel with me because you should go get your shingles vaccination. Well, uh, if I get around to it, I'll do it. So I'm preaching that form of morality. But there is a lot of other moralism. And sometimes, and let me just say this as carefully as I can, and it probably won't be carefully enough, that sometimes we have neighbors, coworkers, classmates, we're wearing our tennis shoes out in the tennis court, and their behavior is not what we believe God's Word teaches. So we think it's our duty to take this big old Bible and begin to pound them over the head with it. You know, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Stop doing that. Living together like that's wrong. Oh, that's sinful. You people getting married? No, we don't believe in that kind of marriage. Shouldn't do that. Stop that. So we get all these stops of people, and it's a moralism where I'm going to tell everybody how they should live their lives and get it all right. And I'm saying that what Paul is saying is that it's not my job to go around and to make people righteous. Sure, if we can pass laws, we want to have you know, lower crime. I mean, we, obviously we have government to restrain the evil that is here. But when he talks about the morality of the righteousness of God, 
I can't go around and cause people to be righteous any more than Paul could in his day, any more than the Pharisees could in their day. They passed all these rules and regulations to make people righteous, and people weren't getting righteous. Moralism is where I go around telling all the sinners to stop sinning, but I never show them where the vaccination is to get rid of the sin. It's like you preaching at me, Dave, here's all the antidotes that I did to get rid of shingles. And I said, well, I should have gotten the vaccination. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of sin in their lives. We're telling them how to stop sinning, but we're not telling them how to find the Savior. Jesus makes people righteous. I don't. Bring people to Jesus. Let Jesus do the heavy lifting. Let Jesus transform them the way He promised to do. And I just want to be, us to be cautious. Because we can have family members that are doing things in their lives that we disagree with. Um, I mean, as simple as, you know, we got... And this is the thing some of us in this crowd relate to. Even I've had family members that get they get tattoos and they get piercings and I'm just not real comfortable with some of that stuff. But if I make it all about the tattoo or the piercings, I lose the audience. Because I'm teaching morality, I'm teaching moralism. I'm not projecting Jesus. So here's what I say, and this is what I put in this email that you may or may not have agreed. If you didn't get my email this week, I encourage you to read it because it might be something you would not, would not agree with. <laughs> I'll be willing to admit that. But I say this. We need to be engaging with people without endorsing their behavior. And it's the wise person that can distinguish between the two. Take, for example, the, the latest uh, episodes that have occurred where a baker was asked to bake a cake for a homosexual marriage. A photographer was asked to photograph a marriage of a homosexual couple. Both turned it down, were sued over it. The reason they turned it down is because it would be compromising their faith. Now, you may agree with that, and I'm not going to quarrel with that. But I think to myself, if I'm a baker, I'm a photographer, and no one would ever pay me money to do either of those things. But if I am, I think to myself, why do I own a bakery? Why do I own a photography studio? What is the point? Paycheck? It comes and it goes. Is this a place that God has placed me so that my feet, wherever I go, can be as beautiful as Jesus' feet and walk into opportunities where people can begin to see Jesus and me, where I can engage with people that I otherwise would never hang out with? They'll never come to my church, but can I go to where they are? Wait a second. Did Jesus go to where they are? Did Jesus get complaints because he would eat and drink with sinners? Yes. What I'm saying is that we need to understand their real spiritual need.
The real spiritual need is to not make all homosexual marriages stop being married. The real spiritual need is for me to engage with them so they can meet Jesus, so Jesus can change them. Because I can't. We can't. Pass all the laws you want. It won't stop it. Because there's only one vaccination. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ. That when that blood gets into the heart, that heart changes. That desire changes. That will changes. So thank you for listening for this little excerpt. Because I want people with hearts who have a desire for the sinners to be saved. And if my heart is one of condemnation and judgment, then my heart's not in the right place. But if my heart is like Paul's, I desire for your salvation. Then I need to bring him to Jesus because that's what he says next. With my mind, I need to have a clear knowledge of the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to bring Jesus to them. That's what he begins to talk about. The very first focus that I've just been saying is keep Jesus, keep faith in Jesus' righteousness, not my works, a constant salvation message. We don't believe in a works-oriented salvation. We all believe that here. That's not a big news flash. So let's not put that on everyone else because I don't like their behavior. And so I say, change your behavior so that Jesus can save you. No, it's all backwards. That's what the Pharisees did. No, I bring Jesus to them so Jesus can change their behavior. So I focus on Jesus' righteousness, not so much on a behavior that I find objectionable and want to moralistically change. And so that's what Jesus does. That's what Paul says in Romans 10.4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the one who completes the law of righteousness in people. It's not me nagging and judging and condemning those who are wrong. It's to bring them to Jesus because Jesus is the end of the law. Jesus is the transformer. Not Calvary Church, not Dave Mitchell, not any of us in this room. That's just the truth. So I need to bring Jesus to them. Then he goes on to say this, But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not see in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What in the world is he talking about there? What Paul is doing is he's quoting from Deuteronomy 30. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses was prepping the people to go to the promised land. And he says, My word, God's word is here. In Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30, is what used to be referred to as the Palestinian covenant. And the covenant is this, that if you obey God's law, God will bless you. If you disobey God's law, He will curse you. And Paul is talking about here, quoting from Deuteronomy 30, that the Word of God is with you. Take the Word of God with you into the promised land, and the Word of God will guide you, and God will bless you if you obey it. Take the Word of God and don't obey it, then He will curse you. And he says, that word is very near you. He quotes that from Deuteronomy 30. Then he says, now let me transfer that to today, in Paul's day. And Jesus Christ is very near us. We don't need to go to heaven to find Jesus. We don't need to go to hell to find Jesus. Jesus is very near us. And so Jesus should be the focal point of our lives. Everywhere I go, you don't need to go to heaven to find Jesus. You don't need to go to hell. You don't need a miracle. Jesus is here. Jesus is always with us. Jesus is in my heart. I am Christ to the world. Jesus is near us. That's what he's saying. 
So therefore, I need to be clear what it means to believe in Jesus. And he uses these two words, confess and believe, in these verses here. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And with the heart a person believes, resulted in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulted in salvation. He's not talking about two-step, you know, tango to get saved. He's talking about something that happens simultaneously, but one confirms the other. That in my heart I believe in Jesus, and then with my mouth I confess that that is true. And so he takes these two words. Confess says, I agree with God. Homo legeo. Homo means one. Legeo means words. Words are one with God. I agree and confess these things are true. I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that Jesus is the end of all uh, of my sins and the law of righteousness will be given to me. I'll be righteous in His sight. I confess that to be true because I believe it. And believe means I am persuaded. I am persuaded in my heart and my mind. I rely on Jesus alone, not my own good works. I rely upon Him. It's not just an intellectual knowledge that I believe that there is a God because even demons believe in God. Demons are monotheistic. They'd have better theology than most of the churches in America today. Demons believe of the truth about God, but the demons are not persuaded that Jesus can save them. That's what James says. So Paul says, I want you to have a mouth that confesses biblical truth. I want you to have a heart that is persuaded of biblical truth so that you have that in your heart and your mind because we need to have clarity with the gospel message so there is clarity with a belief in the heart. With a lack of clarity of my words, there is lack of clarity in people's belief. So when you go out there and we go out there with the heart's desire to see people saved, we don't go out there and preach moralism. Change your behavior. We go out there and preach Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection, faith alone, no works, and let God save you. That's why I love that when he talks about the mouth and the heart, there back here if someone claims I want to believe in Jesus I'd like for their mouth to utter these words and here's what you say to confirm with the mouth the belief of the heart you say this okay we just prayed that prayer and this is the big question a lot of us know if you were to die right now and you should stand before God in heaven and he should ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now that you say you believe in Jesus, what would you say? And there may still be people who don't have clarity. But I want to hear it from their mouth. I want to hear them say, I believe in my heart. And my mouth projects this truth. That Jesus Christ died upon that cross as payment for my sins. That he alone can cleanse me from my sins. And my faith alone in Him alone is the means of my salvation. And that's what I would tell my God in heaven. And that God in heaven would then say, welcome. Because anything less than that is not the clarity of the gospel. It's not true confession. It's not true belief. And I think about Jesus. You think about Jesus in Matthew 16. And Jesus in Matthew 16 says, Unless a man denies himself, takes up his cross, and follows me daily, you will not be saved. Jesus made it hard for people to believe in him. He told in Matthew 19, this rich man, he says, Man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for than for a rich man to get into heaven. So sell everything you own. Sell it all. And then maybe you'll get to heaven. Jesus made it hard for people to believe in him. 
He didn't lower the standard. He raised the standard. Because he wants people who really believe and really confess. Not make-believe Christians. Not moralistic Christians. But true believers and followers of Jesus. So with my heart, I want desire for salvation. But with my head, my mind, I need to be clear with the gospel. So people are believing the right thing. And then they can mouth the right thing. Because with the mouth, it reveals the heart, Jesus said. What I say on my mouth, it reveals my heart. So I want the mouth to reveal my heart. But I believe in Jesus. And then what do we do from the heart to the mind to my mouth? I will communicate this to all people, to everyone. Not just one, oh, only the predestined one, so I don't need to share anything. That's craziness. To whoever believes. Notice in Romans 10, 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For all who call on Him. So that means I need to go out there and tell people regardless of the background. I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile. Those days, that was a bigger deal than to us today. So it doesn't matter whether you're Hispanic or Chinese or African. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. I don't care what land you come from, what language you speak. You all are an opportunity for my mouth to communicate to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection. Faith alone in Christ alone to be vaccinated from the evil of sin. And let God change us, not the church, not the preacher. So whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, it says in verse 13, will be saved. So let's tell whoever. Whoever. It's my neighbors, my co-workers, people in the golf course, Wherever we go. You know, one of the shoes I meant to bring up here, I didn't bring them, was my biking shoes. I love to cycle. I ride out Santiago Canyon Road, and I've spoken of this, spoken of this. A couple of guys I run into are regularly out there, and we'll often ride together. And I initially started trying to tell this one guy who's a, a pilot, flies the big jets, the kind of jet that Malaysian jet that crashed in the, air, in the water is the kind of jet he flies. And so I was asking about that jet. You know, all the mysteries of that sort of thing. And my first encounters with him was to try to tell him all about Jesus. What it means to be a born-again follower of Jesus. He says, oh, I grew up with all that. I don't believe that anymore. Because he grew up in another denomination. And he's all lost in the religious ritual stuff of that. And I said, well, I'd like to give you some literature. No, I don't want your literature. I don't want any of that. So I said, okay. There's not an openness. So now when we ride, I just try to love him. He got a flat tire, so I got out there and fixed his flat tire, but he didn't do a very good job because we rode 10 feet and the tire exploded. (laughs) I could hear him say, you Christians. No, I didn't say that. But I had another tube, so I put the other tube in there. And we rode on. Next day I saw him. We were out there riding again. And he flags me down. Here's 15 bucks for the tube. And I said, well, my labor charge is 20 bucks. So, <laughs> he was okay with that. But now, when I put on my cycling shoes, I see him almost every time I'm out there. And every time I see him, I know him by name. I won't say him here, but every time I see him, I say, Lord, would you save him? Would you open that door? Would you soften that heart? There's another guy out, out there, I ride with him sometimes. 
asked him some of the same questions. I'm a born-again Christian. I go, wow, that's great. Where do you go to church? I don't go to church. (laughs) Our work is never done. (laughs) And so whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, so let's tell whoever. Whoever. And we also see in Romans 10, 14, How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And I love the logic of Paul. And I put it differently, but he put it better than I did. But I, I don't know why I did this. But it says, I need to tell people the gospel because they need to hear this truth. And when they hear the truth, they can believe. If they believe, they can call on Jesus. So that's what he's talking about. I need to tell them so they can believe it, so they can call. And without a preacher, how will they tell? And he's not talking about preacher here. The word for preacher here, let me just be very clear. How will they hear without a preacher? That word for preacher, it doesn't refer to old preacher Dave up here, okay? It's a word that is used of anybody that makes a proclamation of truth. And so all of us are preachers. All of us this week, Easter week of all weeks, when people are so ripe and it's an opportunity. Most everybody loves the Easter bunny and Easter eggs. And wouldn't it be wonderful to see the transformation to believe in Jesus as well? And so there's open doors of opportunity this week for us to tell them, and if not me, then who? If I don't tell them, who will? And so with my feet then, with my heart, I love them and want to see them saved, not condemned, not judged. With my mind, I'm clear on what the gospel is and what it is not. So I give them clarity of belief, something to believe in. So with my mouth, I make it known. Without a preacher, how will they believe? Without believing how they will call on the Lord. So that then with my feet, I bring the good news of Jesus. With my feet, I bring the good news of Jesus. And the reason I brought all these shoes is I already alluded to them. That if I'm out there by the pool, I'm out there by the club, I'm out there on the beach... When you put on the old thongs, <laughs> when you put on the flip-flops, make your feet beautiful by telling them about Jesus. When you're walking around in your everyday kind of clumsy shoes, tell them about Jesus. When you're out there working in the yard and your neighbor comes over and asks you, how did you get rid of the weeds in your yard? Or how did you get your grass so green? Or why isn't your grass green? whatever (laughs) make your feet beautiful by telling them about Jesus and if you're out there at Cook's Corner and I don't care what you're drinking just don't drink and drive because we're not out there to well when you're out there on your Harley and everybody you run into loves to talk about their motorcycles remember they need Jesus too it's just more obvious with them. It's a kid, because I'm one of them. And if you're out there just having fun, make your feet beautiful wherever you go. That's why I brought these shoes. Wherever you go, make your feet beautiful by believing in Jesus. Here's one last pair of shoes. This is from Robin Morgan. It's been one of our missionaries. Wherever Robin went, she had beautiful feet. Tell people about Jesus. In fact, let me show you. This last couple months we had missions here. Here are some more of these people whose feet are beautiful because they take the truth of the gospel around this world. Our missions that you support through your faith promise giving, through your prayers, these are the feet that we can't be in. These are the people that go to locations that we can't go to necessarily. 
These are the people that we have sent out. That without them, people around the world would not have a chance to believe. Because they would not hear. If they don't hear, they can't believe. If they don't believe, they can't call in the name of the Lord. So wherever you go and wherever our dear missionaries go, let's be people with beautiful feet who bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is the thing. It is good news. It's not embarrassing news. It's not shameful news. It's not news that I keep under the candle. Remember that old song? It's news that's good news, Paul says. It's great news. So let's make the good news known. As I began, I love now to evangelize for the shingles vaccination. I wish I had stock in the, in the drug. Why do I preach vaccination of shingles? Because I know how terrible it is. And I know how good the news is. But more importantly, you and I have a vaccination for sin. And it's found in the person of Jesus. And that's good news even better yet. And it's free of charge. Free of charge. No copay. Free of charge. Let's make that good news now. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, I thank you that you've given to us good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, that his life can change people's lives. Father, I pray, first of all, that you give us a heart, a heart's desire for those that you love, we love. We pray for that they would come to believe in Jesus. And then give us a mind that has clarity of what we believe, clarity of communication, clarity of what Jesus has done and clarity what the gospel is and what it is not. And Lord, you would give us a mouth that would be like the preacher that makes the good news known. And that, Lord, our mouths would reflect our heart's love that those who need to be saved would be saved. And that we would give the good news that is loving and kind found in Jesus. For God's kindness leads us to repentance. Father, may that be what we communicate. So as our feet go out, may we go out and may they be beautiful with the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.